the book of Ruth. This is our last sermon in the book of Ruth. I have loved this study that we've done this summer and next year, next year. I actually do know some of the stuff I'm preaching next year. But next week, I'm preaching on a uh, sermon titled, Gear Up. We're going to be talking about the armor of God. So, so this week, go to Ephesians chapter 6 and read that whole chapter and especially the part that deals with uh, the armor of God, the, um, the breastplate of righteousness, the, um, the shield of truth. We'll be talking about that next week. So make sure you uh, study that and look at that. Get ready so you can absorb the Word of God next week. This sermon series uh, is called uh, The Book of Ruth. <laughs> and uh, the hashtag is um, Radical Love if you're going to use... Um, um, uh, social media, and if you'd like the sermon notes, right there's the email address, and you can write us, and we'll be happy to send you the sermon notes, one sermon or the whole series or whatever you want. So a father took his son to the pet store, his little eight-year-old boy, to buy him a puppy. And when they got there, there were like a half dozen little puppies, and they were just running around and yapping, and, and they all acted, you know how puppies are, so cute. And he looked at his little boy, and he said, hey, son, he said, you look in there, any puppy you want, I'm going to get whichever puppy you want, you get the pick of the litter. And the little boy was looking at him, and he didn't know which one to pick, and, and he was just trying to figure out which one do I want, which one will I take home. And he saw one of them. One of the puppies' little tail was wagging like 10 times faster than all the other ones. He said, I'll take the one with the happy ending. <laughs> so this story today, <laughs> that's pretty good, wasn't it? This uh, awesome segue right there. This story has a happy ending, I'm happy to report to you. The story of Ruth begins with a funeral, but it ends with a wedding. The book of Ruth begins with a famine but it ends with fullness. The book of Ruth started with weeping, but it ends with great joy. And the psalmist David remind us, reminds us in Psalm 30 and verse 5, weeping may last through the night, everybody say it, but joy comes in the morning. As we've already covered in chapter 3, Ruth obeys Naomi's instructions as Naomi tells Ruth how to get closer to Boaz. And Ruth is a picture of us. And Boaz is a picture of Jesus. And Naomi tells Ruth five things, and we're not going to go over those today because you can go back and listen to that sermon online at our website, absolutely free. But she tells Ruth, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, tells her five ways uh, that she can get closer to Boaz. For those of you who haven't been here for the story, for me to say that a mother-in-law tells her daughter-in-law how to get closer to a man she's not married to sounds a little weird, don't it? But Ruth's, somebody said yes, but Ruth's, Ruth's husband had died. Naomi's son had died, and Ruth was a widow. So she's telling Ruth, us, how to get closer to Boaz, Jesus, and so Ruth does what Naomi says, and in the middle of the night, she lies down at the feet of Boaz. Boaz wakes up and asks Ruth why she has come to him, and Ruth explains to him that based on the law of the kinsman redeemer, she wants Boaz, 
who is her near relative, to buy back the estate she lost when her husband died. And then Ruth asked Boaz, based on the law of the Leverite marriage, to also marry her and be her husband. Now those of you who like to dig deeper and go further, if you want to read about the law of the kinsman redeemer and the law of the Leverite marriage, they are found in the book of Leviticus chapter 25 and the book of Deuteronomy chapter 25. Well, when Ruth says all of this to Boaz, Boaz responds to her in a very beautiful way. And we also find that in the book of Ruth chapter 3 in verses 10 through 13. And I'm going to paraphrase those verses. Boaz basically says to Ruth, Ruth, I am deeply touched by your expression of love. Ruth, don't worry about anything. I'm going to do more than you could ever want or ask. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are, what a prize you would be for any man. And you are right. I am a close relative to you. But Ruth, I need to tell you that there is a man who is actually a nearer kinsman to you than I am. So in the morning, Ruth, I'm going to go talk to him And I'm going to tell him about you. And if he wants to exercise his customary rights and responsibilities as your closest covenant redeemer, he has the opportunity to choose to do that. And Boaz is a man of such integrity that even though he wants to marry Boaz and he wants to be her kinsman redeemer, he knows that this other man has first choice. And he even goes so far as to say, if he chooses to be your kinsman redeemer, then that's a good thing. He said, but if he isn't, if he isn't interested in serving as your kinsman redeemer, or if for some reason he cannot, he said, I will be delighted to do what you have asked. So that brings us to the final chapter of the book of Ruth, chapter 4, where we are today. And Boaz goes straight into the public square the next day, or very shortly after his conversation with Ruth and The nearer kinsman walks by and Boaz calls out to him for a meeting. So Boaz sees the gentleman who is Ruth's nearer kinsman. And he calls him over and says, I want to talk to you. And Boaz doesn't only talk to him, but he gathers some people around as witnesses to the conversation and the agreement that's about to be made between him and this man. Boaz explained to the man that he was the nearer kinsman to Ruth and it was his right to have first choice to purchase back Ruth's husband's estate and to also marry Ruth. And without going into detail, the man looks at him and says, I can't do it. I cannot be her kinsman redeemer. I don't want to serve as her kinsman redeemer. It would would affect the inheritance that my children receive and so I'm not going to do it. And I don't know how Boaz reacted outwardly, but I believe on the inside he was kind of jumping up and down, you know. I believe Boaz was very happy because he loved Ruth. He genuinely loved her. And he deeply desired to marry her and make a home with her. The Bible says in chapter 4 and verse 13 that Boaz married Ruth. She became his wife, and by the gracious gift of God, she received a a son. They had a son together. Now let's talk about how this all applies to us and what does this mean to us today. So let me give you three things very quickly by way of introduction. There were three requirements that had to be met 
in order for someone to serve as the kinsman redeemer to someone else. And also the, the kinsman redeemer in the um, context of buying back the estate and also marrying Ruth. There were three requirements that had to be met. Number one, he had to meet the legal qualifications. In other words, very simply, he had to be a near kinsman. He had to be a near kinsman. There was nobody else who could do it. The second thing, he had to be a man of financial means. In other words, he had to be a wealthy man, wealthy enough to purchase the estate, wealthy enough to take care of his wife, his new wife. And then number three, he had to be willing to do it. As you saw, the man who had first dibs or first choice in buying back the estate of Ruth and marrying Ruth, <clears throat> he was not willing to do it. And because he was unwilling to do it, then he didn't do it. So you had to be willing. Redeeming Ruth was not something that could be forced upon someone. He had to choose to redeem her. Here's where it comes down to us and our lives. Boaz possessed all three of these qualities. And this makes him a clear picture of our Redeemer. And what's our Redeemer's name? His name is Jesus. So let's look at these three things. Number one, Boaz was worthy. He was worthy to be the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. He met the qualifications. He met the legal qualifications. But as we said earlier, there was another man who was Ruth's nearer kinsman. He had first choice to redeem Ruth. However, he could not do it. He was not able to do it. He was not therefore worthy to do it. He was not therefore qualified to do it. Now who does this man picture? This man who had first choice, who said, I can't redeem her. Who does he picture in this story? He pictures Adam. He pictures Adam because Adam was our nearer kinsman. Adam was a human being as we are human beings. So Adam is our nearer kinsman. But you know that Adam failed. That Adam uh, fell into sin and could not redeem us. He could not save us. And like Boaz, Jesus stepped up for us by stepping down from heaven and serving as our kinsman redeemer. How many of you are glad today that Jesus stepped up for us by stepping down for us? Thank God for that. Thank God for that. What great news. Hey, listen, had he not done that, there'd be no need to gather here today. Had Jesus not done that, there would be no need to sing the songs we sung today in his honor and glorify him. And I gotta tell you, the songs today we're just, and, and the worship's always good here, but I got to tell you, I just really enjoyed it today. They were songs that just brought such adoration and praise to our Lord, our Redeemer. I want you to look at a scripture that's so beautiful. Look at Hebrews 2 and 14. Because God's children are human beings, that is, made of flesh and blood, the Son, who's that? Jesus also became what? flesh and blood for only as a human <laughs> excuse me for only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil isn't that a beautiful verse jesus became one of us 
Jesus stepped down and became one of us. And I, you know, one of the things I love here at the bridge is I love it when we have a water baptism. Because water baptism says so much. And one of the reasons we encourage you to receive water baptism, there are many reasons. One of them, and the most important one, is simply you're obeying God when you do it. God said to do it. When you are saved, when you are born again into the family of God, when you are adopted into the family because of your faith in what Christ did and his resurrection from the grave, and you are saved, you become a follower of Jesus. The Bible says you need to go public with it. And so that's why we do water baptism here. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if you're new to our church, we are going to mess up your hair when we do it, okay? <clears throat> we could sprinkle you, but your hair still looks good after that, so we're going to dip you, all right? Because that kind of takes care of the pride thing, you know what I'm saying? And so, so we do baptism, but another reason we do baptism is because Jesus modeled it before us. Can I tell you Jesus didn't need to get baptized? He didn't need to get baptized. Jesus didn't need to get saved, so therefore Jesus didn't need to get baptized. So why was he baptized? As an example. As an example to us. As a matter of fact, when Jesus got baptized, he was identifying with us. And when we get baptized, we're identifying with him. When he got baptized, he was identifying, I am here with you. I've taken on the robe of flesh. I've laid down a robe of righteousness and a a robe of, uh, a robe of uh, immortality, taking on a robe of mortality, and I am identifying with you. I'm one of you. I came down to where you are, and I'm identifying with you. And then when we get baptized, we're saying to the world, I am a follower of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. And so he's worthy. Christ is worthy. When I thought about the worthiness of Christ, I thought of the book of Revelation chapter 5. And this is not going to come up on the screen. And I'm going to read this today. And uh, I believe I'm reading this out of the um, New King James Version. I believe that's what I'm reading it out of. So if you want to follow along in your Bible or you want to follow along on, on your uh, iPad or whatever there, Revelation chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. It's kind of lengthy, so I'm going to read it fast. And when I read fast, what does that mean for you guys? you got to what? Listen fast, exactly. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Now, this is the Apostle John receiving a vision from God about the last days. Here in chapter 5, he sees a scroll that reveals the tribulation judgments of God. Now, we're not going to get into eschatology today, and we're not going to get into the last days, but we have sermon series online that have already been preached here about the things of the book of Revelation and the end times and the last days, and we'll preach on that again in the future. Verse 1, he says, now remember, John, John is blind here. They blinded him, and then they exiled him to the Isle of what? Patmos. And so he is not seeing this with his natural eye, but he's seeing this with his spiritual eye. God's giving him a vision. He says, Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll and read it. He says in verse 4, Then I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of, to David's throne, has won the victory. Therefore, he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. He goes on in verse 6, Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God. And I know all this stuff is really a lot of uh, symbolism and pictures here and all of that, and we don't have time to get into it today, but I just wanted you to see the vision. Spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth, verse 7, he stepped forward. He's talking about Christ here. Christ stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they had gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, you... Talking about Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered on the cross and your blood has ransomed or redeemed or purchased back people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 10, and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Beautiful, beautiful. Our God, our Boaz is worthy. He meets the legal qualifications to purchase us back. The, the nearer kinsman to us couldn't do it. What was his name? Adam. But Jesus, our Boaz, rose up and said what Adam cannot do, what Adam failed to do, what Adam is unable to do, what Adam is not legally qualified to do, I am everything Adam is not. And I have come to buy you back and give you new life and give you eternal life. That's good news right there, boys and girls. Thank God for that good news. Well, Boaz wasn't only worthy. Number two, he was wealthy. And the lady said, amen. But... Boaz had to be wealthy enough to serve as a kinsman redeemer. That's one of the reasons Millie married me. <clears throat> she married me. I was driving a 1970-something Chevelle, and it was bad now. It was bad to the bone, but anyway. So Boaz had to be <laughs> wealthy enough to serve as a kinsman redeemer and buy back Ruth's estate and marry her. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, that it happened that Naomi had a relative by marriage, a man prominent, and the Bible says, and rich, connected to Elimelech's family, and his name was Boaz. So that's when we first got introduced to Boaz back in chapter 2. And like Boaz, Jesus is wealthy enough to redeem us. Let's look at a couple of scriptures on that. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. I love this. This is so beautiful. For you know that God paid a ransom. Now, you pay a ransom to somebody who's got you in bondage, don't you? Somebody who's kidnapped you. Somebody who stole your freedom. You pay a ransom to get them back. God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. You inherited from your nearer kinsman. Who was our nearer kinsman? 
And we inherited what from him? We inherited from him an empty life because he sinned. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver. This price God paid was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. But what he paid for us with was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Thank God for that good news. Look in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Matter of fact, our God, our Jesus, our Boaz, look what it says, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Boys and girls, that's the best news you will ever hear. Can I tell you something? For the life of me, I cannot figure out why anybody would reject Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. He has purchased you. He has bought you. He wants you to have a home in heaven. You say, well, there are hypocrites in the church. Really? Really? Thank you for that news bulletin. The church has got hypocrites in it. Can I just be honest with you about that? You know what I'm going to say, those of you who've been hearing LinkedIn. Sometimes I'm a hypocrite. You say, well, I wasn't talking about you, preacher. Well, you might as well. Because if a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing but often does something else, that's me right there. Y'all look so holy. Sometimes I preach something, I say something, I teach something, and then I go and mess up and fail. Is that what a hypocrite is? Because if that's a hypocrite, I'm one. I'm one. Hey, you know what? We're not trying to point you to us. Because we're like Adam. We can't save you. We can't redeem you. We're trying to point you to the one who saved us, the one who redeemed us, the one who washed us, the one who forgave us, the one who gave us new life. Listen, I don't care what excuse you come up with. There is no reasonable excuse for not surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. He died for you. He gave his life for you. So Boaz was worthy. Number two, Boaz was wealthy enough. And number three, this one's pretty big, Boaz was willing. He was willing. The other nearer kinsman was not willing. Boaz had to be willing to serve as the kinsman redeemer and buy back Ruth's estate and become her husband. Likewise, Jesus had to be willing to redeem us. He had to be willing to buy us back. Jesus had to be willing to pay our ransom, as we've just read, through his death on the cross, that is how he paid for our freedom. Boaz was not forced to purchase Ruth back. Jesus was not forced to redeem us. Look at John 10, 16. Jesus said this, no one can take my life from me. Read the yellow part with me. I sacrifice it how? Willingly, voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down, he's talking about his life, when I what? Want to, willing, wanted to. Can, isn't that amazing? Not only did he die for us, not only did he take your place on the cross, but he wanted to. He wanted to. If you don't think God loves you, can you just wake up to the fact that he looked down at you 
with all your sin and all your mistakes and all your mess. And he said, I want to die for Pharaoh on the cross. I don't want Pharaoh to go into eternity without me. I want to pay his price. He can't pay it. He has no hope of heaven. He has no hope of eternal life. I want to give my life for Pharaoh Hardison as imperfect as he is, as uh, the, the mess he is, I want to give. I desire. I'm willing. I want to <clears throat> give my life for him. So it says, I have the authority to lay it down when I want to. And also, I can take it up again. Resurrection. Resurrection. For this is what my Father has commanded. Beautiful, beautiful word. I love what one preacher said. He said, Jesus doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because he loves us. Thank God for the love of Jesus. Amen, amen. I want to tell you, Ruth had three problems, and I've got good news for y'all today. Y'all got the same problems. Ruth had three problems, and I want to tell you about these problems. Now, if you're here today without Jesus Christ and you don't know him as your personal Savior, I want you to listen to this. I want you to open your heart and say, if the Word of God is true, if God is true, if Jesus is true, if all this stuff is true, then God, I'm going to open my heart and receive what Pastor is about to say right now. I'm going to test you. How many of you know God will let you test him? God will let you try him. So Ruth had three problems. She pictures us. We got the same three problems, and they are described very succinctly in Ephesians 2 and 12. Ephesians 2 and 12. Remember that you were at, at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, when I read that verse, I see three problems. Problem number one, her past. Ruth was a Moabite. She was not an Israelite. She was not one of God's chosen people. She's like us. She had a curse on her. She was a Gentile. She was an alien. And uh, Ruth was cut off from God, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Not a Jew, not an Israelite. Deuteronomy 23 and 3 clearly tells us, and if you'll just write that down if you're taking notes, that's where it tells us that all people who were Moabites, Gentiles, that the law could not permit Ruth to connect with God. The same is true of us. The Bible says that we are born in Adam, and if you stay in Adam, you die. The Bible says all people who are in Adam, that means not connected to God, you stay in Adam, you're born in Adam. If you decide to stay in Adam and not come to God, your Redeemer, and let him buy you back, then you are uh, going to die in the end, and your death will be eternal. I know that's strong preaching, and we don't hear that much anymore, but that's what our past does for us. The second thing I want you to notice, problem number two, her present. Because she's cut off from God, in the present, she is a stranger to the covenants of promise. Cut off from the blessings of God. Because she's separated from Christ, she's cut off from the blessings of God. She's cut off from the promises of Scripture. Her life is marked by tragedy. It's marked by sadness. It's marked by sorrow. It's marked by hopelessness. That's how we are. When we are born into the world, we are born separated from Christ. Therefore, we are strangers to the covenants. We are strangers 
to the covenants of promise, to what God has promised in his word. But when we come to Christ, we are reconnected to Christ, and we then become not strangers, but we become people who inherit the covenant. We inherit the promises of God. If you're here today without Christ, then your present situation is just like Ruth's separate from Christ, strangers to the promises of God. Look at the third problem she had. It was her future. So when when you're separate from Christ, and therefore you're cut off from the promises of Christ, then you have what? No hope, and you are what? That's why you have no hope, because you're without God in this world. This was her future, nothing for Ruth to look forward to. Her hopes and dreams were lost, and without Christ, this is our future. Without Christ, the only thing we have is dread. Without Christ, there's no hope. Ruth is a picture of us. We have the same problems Ruth had. One writer said that the three problems of Ruth could be summed up into three words, sin, sorrow, and death. Hey, without Christ, listen to me. Without Christ, that is all you have is sin. And when we sin, there is sorrow. And then at the end, there's death. That's all we have. But in Christ, all of our problems can be solved. Matter of fact, let's look at the solution. It's in Ephesians 2 and 13. Ephesians 2 and 13. I love that word right now, but. But, it's a little word, but it's big right there. Can somebody say, I like big butts? I like big I didn't come out like I meant for that to, and I cannot lie. But I told you guys I'm a mess. And I like big Bibles, and I cannot lie. But but now, everybody with me? This is a solution. But now I'm what? In Christ Jesus. And since now I'm in Christ Jesus, I was formerly what? far off, but now I have been what? By the blood of Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank God for that. Farrell Hardison was born, I was born far off. I was born cut off from God. I was born not a person who could enjoy the promises of God. But now, because of the blood of Christ and my faith in the blood of Christ and my faith in the resurrection of Christ, now I have been what? Brought near. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me ask you something. You think Jesus looked at me and said, you know, he's doing better. I think I'm going to let him get a little closer to me. No, sir. No, sir. No, you get closer to Jesus when you surrender to Jesus. You get closer to Jesus when you say, I am lost. I'm a sinner. You don't get closer to Jesus by going and feeding the hungry. Now, if you want to go feed the hungry, that's awesome. But here's the deal about that. You don't feed the hungry to get closer to Jesus. You feed the hungry because you are close to Jesus. See, that's the first thing is you give your life to Christ. You surrender your life to Christ. People are trying to work their way to heaven. They're trying to go, you know, if I can get more good stuff over here than bad stuff, 
then I get to go to heaven because I got more good deeds than bad deeds. Can I tell you something? You're never going to have more good than bad. Plus, it doesn't matter anyway because you can't save yourself. Salvation is a gift. It's a free gift that comes through faith in Christ, faith in who he is, faith in what he did, faith in his resurrection. Boaz redeemed Ruth from all her problems. You know what that word redeemed mean? It means It literally means to buy off the slave block. Ruth was a slave of, of her culture, a slave of her religious system, a slave because she was cut off from God, but Boaz bought her back. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Hosea. How many of y'all are ever read in the book of Hosea? He married a, a woman named Gomer. I mean, she must have really looked good. Amen? She must have been a pretty girl. And, and um, of course, you know, what was his cousin? What was her cousin's name? Gomer and who? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Why can't I think of his name? Goober, yes. <laughs> Young people are sitting here going, who is he talking about? It's just funny to me. You know, when I read the Bible, I see funny stuff. Do y'all see funny stuff? You, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, we're not as twisted as you, but we love you, man. We love you. So Hosea marries this beautiful woman. She's a beautiful woman. Her name, her name is Gomer. That was the only thing that wasn't beautiful about her. But her name meant something. So he, he married her, and, and he had children with her. And if you read the book of Hosea, don't read it now because I'm up here preaching. But the Bible says, kind of, if you'll let me paraphrase and draw a picture, when he got home from work one day, the babies were crying. The diapers hadn't been changed. They were hungry. And he found a note pinned to his pillow and it said I've left you she said I've left you and I'm leaving the children and the Bible says she went after other men well see that's how Satan is he entices you away from God and then he ruins your life you got to remember something about Satan and we're going to talk about him next week he is a decided fact he exists he is a destructive force. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But he's a defeated foe because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. He's been defeated. Amen, amen. <clears throat> so Hosea saw that and he wept, no doubt. And, and uh, I'm paraphrasing here and I'm adding some to the story. But read the book of Hosea. I don't think we're doing any damage. These are things I think naturally would have happened. I can see him clean all the babies up and get them some food, and then he goes and uh, lays down because he doesn't know where she is, and he goes, tries to go to sleep, but his mind is just on his wife and what she's done and how she's broken his heart. He didn't understand, and he's a picture of Jesus, and she's a picture of us. Gomer is a picture of us in that story. You know what the Bible says he does? The Bible says that he collected everything he had of value because he got word that the men who had taken her away and told her her life was going to be better had now turned her into a sex slave. And now she was damaged and she was filthy and she was degraded 
This is what the enemy does. Every time. Not just sometimes. This is what he does every time. And he heard about it. And I love the story where he's gathering everything he can. Because I remember when I was a kid and I wanted to go buy something at the store and I didn't have any money. Y'all remember how, you know, what you used to do, get all mom's purses down? How many of y'all remember those days? You just turn them upside down, pennies would fall out. Because ah! you could buy something for a few pennies back then. You can't now. And then, of course, the true riches were in the cracks of the couch. Come on, amen. I mean, there were some snacks in there along with food, some french fries, chips. So, I remember as a kid, and this was like, this was when you read about Hosea just trying to find things of value. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he was so poor that one of the things he put in his bag to try to use to buy her back was barley bread. Barley bread was a bread that was so coarse and so cheap that they actually used it to feed animals. The Bible says he only had a half a loaf and he put it in the bag. Now here's what that pictures. That pictures that to buy us back, Jesus gave everything he had. He gave everything he had. There was nothing else Jesus could give that he didn't give for us. And the scripture says that Hosea found the slave block, the slave trading area where they had brought his wife. And if you'll permit my imagination, I can see him standing in the back of a crowd and he's peeping, he's, he's looking, he's trying to see. And they bring up one after another and they're auctioning off these slaves. And all of a sudden they bring up this filthy, skinny woman who hasn't eaten right in months. Her hair's fallen out. She's filthy. He goes, that's her. That's her. And when the, when the auctioneer starts the auctioning process, nobody will bid. Nobody wants her. She's too dirty. She's too far gone. Nobody wants her for anything. And at the back of the crowd, Hosea says, I'll buy her. I will buy her. I don't have much, but it's everything I've got. And he brings it and lays it down at the feet of the auctioneer and takes Hosea, takes Gomer by the hand and says, let's go home. And he redeems her. He buys her back. Boaz bought Ruth back. I love what one preacher said. He said, Jesus stood in our shoes so we could stand in his. Jesus stood in our shoes so we could stand in his. See, you were supposed to be on that cross. He hadn't done anything wrong. They tell me when Rembrandt painted a picture of the crucifixion scene, that he put his own face on one of the people in the crowd and said, I crucified him. It was my sin that crucified Jesus. You were the one who should have died, but Jesus said, I'll stand in his shoes. 
I'll stand in Pharaoh's shoes and I'll die and I'll come back from the dead. And if he'll have faith in me, then he can stand in my shoes. And my father will see my righteousness on him. And he'll get to go to heaven for eternity. See, when Ruth was redeemed back from Boaz, you go on and read the rest of chapter 4, she got a new family. She got a new fortune. She got a new fruitfulness because she had a little baby. She got a new fame. She was not known for being a Moabite anymore. She was known for whose wife she was. She got a new future. And all of this applies to us. We got the same three problems Ruth had, but we've got a Boaz to redeem us. Would you just bow your heads? Right there where you are. Right there where you are right now, just say, Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to rule in my life. I've been running from you, Lord. I've been offering up excuses about why I won't sell out, why I won't fully commit. And, and I've, I've talked about people who've hurt my feelings. And I've talked about hypocrites. And I've talked about all the things Pastor Farrell brought up today. And I've thought those things were good excuses. But I realize now I have no excuse. I have no excuse because it's not people I'm looking to for new life. It's you, Lord, and you've never failed me. You've never let me down. You've never abandoned me. So I give my life to you today. I surrender my life to you. Take me, Lord. I've been running. Yes, sir, I have. I've been making all those excuses, but no more. This is it. Today, Lord, this this message from your word has captured my heart and I surrender my life to you today. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. You paid the price. You bought me. You stood in my shoes so I could stand in your shoes. And today, I bow before you like Ruth laid down at the feet of Boaz. Lord, I lay down at your feet today and I give you my life. Save me, Lord. Wash me, cleanse me, in Jesus' name.